Jeremiah chapter 16 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 16, we're going to look at several verses here in chapter 16, and then we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 17 as well. I don't usually ramble, but I'm shifting gears. <clears throat> and so, I taught Sunday school this morning, which I seldom do, uh, and then leading the music, and then now shifting gears here. So, it takes me a minute to get my mind adjusted. Didn't used to, you say, just kind of click along. Now I've got to start thinking a little bit harder. So Jeremiah chapter number 16 and beginning in verse number 9. Jeremiah is giving here the sign of the unmarried prophet. He is communicating to Judah, to Israel, to the children of, of God's people uh, that judgment's coming. That they're either going to repent or they're going to be judged. And so and once judgment begins, it's going to run its course. You know, God is very merciful. God is very long-suffering. And I think that you see that consistently through the scripture, that God gives opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But once it starts, it's going to run its course until it's accomplished what he wants it to accomplish. You can't repent after judgment starts. I mean, at some point you may be able to, but you can repent all you want to. It's not going to stop the judgment. That's what I'm trying to say. And so Jeremiah is sent to give them the warning. Consequently, <coughs> there are some that believe that Jeremiah was a failure in ministry because he never had one convert. He served his whole life. He, he was thrown in a pit. He was put in the stocks. He was brokenhearted as he watched his beloved Jerusalem destroyed. That's what the book of Lamentations is all about. And his people hauled off into Babylonian captivity. But he was no failure. He did exactly what God called him to do. The results were God's. They were given every opportunity. And in this text this morning, they are in deep sin and they're so far removed from God that they don't even understand that they're sinful. And I think there are a lot of parallels with our culture today, even within our Christian young people. And I think that you'll see that as we go through the message this morning. Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse number 9. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words. And they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then shalt thou say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore will I cast you out of this land into a land that ye know not, neither ye nor your fathers, and there shall ye serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. It's a terrible statement. God's people, God telling them, I will not show you favor. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth, that he brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But 
The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, from every hill, and out of the holes of the rocks. For mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. At first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land and have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of the detestable and abominable things. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and they and shall say, Surely our fathers have, an inherit, have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. In verse 7 of chapter 17, he's still continuing with this same, uh, this same passage and message. In verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit. Of his doings. I want to speak this morning on this thought. I will cause them to know. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this morning and we've read your word. May our hearts be open unto it. Holy Spirit, we need you moving in our midst. May you convict us of our sin. May you identify to each one of us in our own heart where we stand. May we respond to you accordingly. And may you help us to be a people that live in your favor a people that you can bestow your favor upon. I know that we'll never truly be worthy. But Lord, you've made it clear that you want to bestow your favor upon your children. But if we don't follow your, your law, if we don't follow your ways and your leading and your, the principles of your word, then we cannot live in your favor. Help us to understand. Help us to know that you're not just a God that's been passed down. But you are the true and living God that sits upon his throne. May we also allow you to sit upon the throne of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> As we look here, Jeremiah, again, is preaching to them about coming judgment. He is letting them know that God has had enough. That God is fed up. You ever feel that way? Uh, you know, we, we have to deal with things all the time and, and you can be patient with something or someone for a long time and, uh, and you can go the extra mile and it just seems like they never, uh, they never get it or they're not pulling their weight, they're not doing their part, they're not listening to what's being said. And at some point, you just get to the point where you just say, you know what, I'm fed up. I've had enough. I, I'm just, 
Now, that's not really uh, something that we, the place that we want to be. It's not some place that we want to get to. But just the reality of our humanity, uh, as well-intentioned as we are, if you, uh, if you try to do something long enough and the person's just not letting you and not interested in the help, uh, at some point you just have to realize that I'm just casting my pearls before swine and I need to move on to someone that really wants uh, to hear uh, what, what God has to say. Uh, and so but God is essentially at this point at a place where he just looks at, at, the, at Judah and Israel and says, you know what, I'm, I've had it. I'm fed up with you. I've, I've preached to you. I've sent you prophets. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've liberated you. I've, get, I've been your God. I've provided for your needs. I've brought you through attacks. I've, <coughs> I've, I've worked in your life. I've, I've given myself to you and you've, you're not interested in me. You've forsaken me. I, I'm done. And God essentially is there with them. But he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. Jeremiah, I want you to get up and I want you to go and preach. And they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to respond well to you. And Jeremiah found out right quick that they were not interested in hearing the truth. Matter of fact, they persecuted him for telling them the truth. The, the reason, they, they considered him to be a traitor. Because he spoke the truth that God told him to preach. And they put him in the stocks for it. In public humiliation. And they threw him in a pit because of it. And then he had to endure as he just kept faithfully serving God. Uh, he had to endure the witnessing of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so what we see here, Jeremiah is preaching to them about this coming judgment. And he's saying to them that there's enough generational progression or regression, deterioration, that has occurred that they don't even understand that they're sin. I want you to notice in verse number 10 when it says, if it do evil in my sight. Oh, wait a minute. I'm the back of chapter 18. I'll turn my page back. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words, that they shall say unto thee, wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil on us against us? In other words, God's telling Jeremiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach to them that they've sinned against me. And because of that, they are either going to repent of their sin and return to me or I'm going to bring judgment upon them. And this judgment is going to be severe. This isn't going to be a drought. This isn't going to be a pestilence. This is going to be an invasion of an, an invading army of a country that they don't know about, uh, that they're unfamiliar with, and they're going to be hauled away from their land and they're going to be dispersed and scattered. And then they end up dispersed for 70 years. Uh, and they're going to say to you, why is God doing this to us? How could God be so evil? Why would God look at, at us and say such things? And he tells them again in verse 10, And they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? <coughs> and he's just saying to them, or they, they're, that they're going to respond like, What are we doing that's sinful? Sounds kind of like America in 2022. Amen. Where we come to the place where culturally and uh, as a society we just look at uh, at what we do and uh, and the world looks at what it does and says how dare you stand up and say that what I'm doing is sinful how dare you say that this is wrong how dare you say that this is immoral 
How, how dare you? Uh, you can't even watch the Olympics without them bragging about, uh, about things that are immoral and uh, abominable to God. Amen. And you look and you consider where we are and where we're headed, and it's not out in the world because the church has done such a great job of modeling Christ within its walls or outside it. So the reason that the world is in such rough shape is because the church has deteriorated internally. And he's saying to them as he speaks to them, and it's important to note, he's not speaking to strangers here. He's speaking to the children of Israel and Judah. He's speaking to his people. He's come to them, those that he loves, those that he cares for, those that he wants to bless, those that he wants to, uh, to, uh, to bring forth his power and will bring Messiah from at some point and says, before I can get there, we've got to deal with an issue here. And he comes to them and he says, this is going to be their response. In verse 11, he says, and this is going to be your response to your, your answer. Then shalt thou say unto them, because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods and have served them and have worshipped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law. And then he says, and you've done worse than your fathers. They don't understand. So, Pastor, I don't understand how that's possible. I saw a third generation Christian that I, I don't know him real well. I know his family well. <coughs> and he's pastoring now. And I believe that uh, that he has stayed true to the fundamentals that his father taught him and demonstrated to him. But a few months back, he posted this, and I just, uh, I thought it was good. I didn't comment or anything on it. I just, I just saved it. And so I was preparing the messages this week, and I went back and I, I looked at it, and it's actually, uh, it's actually just a, something that he reposted from uh, a fairly well-known commentator, I don't know what verse the commentator was talking about. I didn't go and try to find it in that commentary. Um, and so, but when I read this passage and then I, that came to mind. And, it's, and, and the statement is this. First generation Christians are motivated by conviction and they will die for them. Second generation Christians inherit these truths but conviction softens into a belief. Third generation Christians, the belief becomes an opinion. And they will trade it, or they will trade first generation truth. They will dilute it, they will change it, they will accept counterfeits of it, and they will make room for error. I thought, what an appropriate explanation of what we've witnessed in the church today. And essentially it's what Jeremiah is proclaiming to Israel here, to the Judah here. He's looked at them and with that thought in mind, listen to what his response to them is when they said, how have we sinned? In verse 11 again, thou shalt say unto them, because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law, and ye have done worse than your fathers. How have they done worse? He gives the explanation. For behold, ye walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. You're just doing what the Bible would call in other places, everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes. 
and you've justified it and you've spiritualized it so that you feel okay with that. Now, I'm not pointing my gun at anyone in our church this morning. I, I'm just laying the truth out here so that we can kind of assess and evaluate where we are, what direction we're headed, not uh, individually. Because as the individuals of the body of the church go, so the church eventually is going to go. And they're buying into the world's philosophy to their own destruction. So when we look here, Jeremiah gives them a history lesson. He says, Moses led your people, led, led us out of Egypt after 430 years of bondage. He did all these things for us. He gave us the, the promised land. He helped us to conquer the enemies. And so, and we see it in, in verse number 12, you've done worse. Matthew Henry said of this text, commentator from the 1600s, that in these verses there is a mixture of mercy and judgment. And you'll see that as we work our way down through these verses before we get to the main part of the message this morning. This is judgment, yes, but there's, it's not lacking mercy. It's not lacking opportunity to repent of their sin and to get their hearts and their lives right with God. So he says there's a mixture of mercy and judgment in these verses, and it's hard to know which to apply some of the passages to some of the passages here. They are interwoven, and some of them seem to look for, so far forward as to the gospel, the time of the gospels. And so what I'm saying is this, <coughs> that mercy and judgment are almost always like that. And if you look at the scripture closely, they're interwoven. God is never pronouncing judgment where he would not rather extend mercy. You know, we kind of, we look and we think, oh, God is so harsh and judgment's going to come. And once it starts, it comes. Don't make any mistake about that. I don't know of an exception to that. Until it's done, it's, it's, it's going to run its course once it starts. But up until the moment that it begins, God's looking for every opportunity to expend, extend mercy. He's looking for an, an opportunity to forgive. But he cannot forgive until we repent. And so we have to recognize where we are. And so as we consider this, as, as he goes on, he also said that need drives many to God who had set themselves at a distance from him. Why does God, pastor, work at bringing judgment? Because sometimes that's the only thing that we understand. If you ever worked with animals, and I've not worked with animals a lot. I did a lot more whenever I was a child. But uh, if, if, you, if you have a, a, an animal that likes to bite, the best way to break it from biting is to bite it back. You have a horse that bites, bite its ear. You have a dog that bites, bite its ear. Oh, Pastor, that's animal abuse. No, it's animal training. Because there are some that that's all, that, there are some things that that's the only thing that they understand. That's the way that they interact with each other in their packs when we talk about dogs. There are some, there are some people that that's the only thing that they understand. You look at the political stage today, uh, we, we are in a position in our leadership that's very weak, and so you see all the bad actors in the world try to take advantage of that. Why? Because there's no real fear that force is going to be met with force. And whenever there's strength and power, then it deters the bad actors from stepping out. Why? Because that's all they understand. Uh, and, and the bottom line here is, is that there are some people that the only, th the only way they can learn is the hard way. I, I don't want to be that person. I'm afraid that sometimes I am that person. Uh, but, you know, and I was taught growing up that, you know, the experience is the best teacher. 
And then <coughs> I got a little older and somebody wisely taught me that uh, someone else experiences the best teacher. And so I don't want to be that guy who has to learn everything the hard way. But I'm going to tell you, the, the children of Judah here have to learn the hard way. They're not going to learn any other way. Ju judgment is the only thing that God is not being harsh to them because he doesn't love them. He's being harsh to them because it's the only thing that they're going to understand. And it's what's necessary to do his work. And so the need drives many to God who had set themselves at a distance from him. Why would God let me suffer? Why would God, perhaps I've set myself at a distance from God and God is letting me go without so that I'll look to him to supply my need. Jeremiah set out that they might know God's judgment and his mercy. He says, I want you to know truth. He also said, Matthew Henry, that as his omniscience convicts them, his justice condemns them. God knows everything. God is working in their heart. Now, if you look at verses 14 and 15, as he makes his way through and he uh, delivers the message, therefore, behold, because of your sin, because uh, you've turned away from me, because you won't listen to God. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the lands whither he hath driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I have given unto their fathers. So he's making the prophecy, listen, you don't repent, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. Babylon is on the doorstep. And if, if, you, if you, if we don't as a people repent, then right now we look and we say, oh, what great, wonderful things God did for us when he brought us out of Egypt. There's going to come a day when the judgment is so severe and when our hearts are so broken and when we, we're not just now hauled off together into captivity, but we're going to be ripped apart from our families and we're going to be scattered and we're going to be scattered to the lands of the north and we're going to be, and then God's going to reassemble us and the, the, the thing that's going to come to note is not how great of a thing it was for God to bring us out of Egypt, but how amazing it was that God brought us back together. And it's a wonderful thing that God has done in reestablishing Israel, but he's not finished reestablishing and reassembling Israel yet. But look at how many generations they had to suffer being dispersed. There's a lot of suffering in between those mighty acts of God. And he just lays out here, this is what's coming your way. Notice in verse number 15 where he, uh, he makes that, uh, that, that where it's going to exceed Exodus. And then in verse 16 he says, I'm going to send I really, I really love this verse. I, I really love the message that it puts here because it demonstrates the mercy of God being extended one more time before judgment begins. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send for them many hunters, and they shall hunt for them from every mountain and from every hill and out of, out of the holes of the rocks. And so what's he expressing here? He's saying, I know your sin. I'm going to send fishers, I'm going to send hunters, I'm going to bring judgment of sin, or I'm going to bring mercy for repentance. He, notice that he sends first the fishers. God fishes for men. What did Jesus do? Jesus came and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. God does not come and take by force his people. Jesus 
has died for everyone and salvation is for everyone that will repent of their sin. But Jesus does not come uh, for war to coerce people to, to give their heart to him. He fishes for them. He comes and he woos. He comes and he loves. He comes and he shows mercy. And so before judgment begins, he says, I'm sending fishers. Jeremiah is a fisherman here. Jeremiah has been sent that he might extend the bait of God's mercy and forgiveness if they'll repent of their sin. A stay of execution, a withholding of God's judgment. If you will, I'm sending fishers. I'm sending someone to bring you back to me. I'm sending someone to catch you out of the cesspool of your sin and to lift you out of it so that I can restore you. I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send for many hunters. After I've tried to recover you and you reject me, now I'm sending the hunter. The hunter kills. The hunter brings into subjection. The hunter shows no mercy. The hunter consumes. And once judgment comes, that judgment will not be able to be escaped. Notice that it says that the hunter is going to go to every mountain. The hunter is going to go down every hill and every hole of the rocks. He's going to leave no stone unturned. Judgment's coming. Repent or be judged. And so God interwoven here shows his mercy and that judgment. And he comes down and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring double what you expect. You, you think that you understand what my judgment is. This is going to be more. And again in verse 17 and 18 he says, For mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double. Because they have defiled my land and have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. And God's laying it out here. You have filled what I gave you with abomination. And I'm going, I'm coming. And it's going to come double what you expect. Then in verse 19, he gives an expression of hope. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth. And shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Notice verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. He'll cause them to know. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, in verse 19, there, there's this expression of hope that after... I've explained to you your condition. Here's your condition. He says to them, you've inherited from your father's lies, the lies of idolatry. You've inherited from your father's a life of religion and vanity. 
He says, what your fathers gave you was not a genuine and sincere walk with me. It was lies. They, they lived in idolatry and they, they made a religion out of my worship. They were going through the motions of sacrifice. They were going through the motions of, uh, of temple worship. And they were going through, uh, <coughs> excuse me, all of these things that they, they were technically supposed to do, but they weren't worshiping God from their heart. And he said, that's vanity. The vanity of religion. He said, they're unprofitable because they're doing all these works, but there's no faith. They're going through all the motions, but there's no faith in God. And then in verse 20, 21, he says, but my hand, my hand, and the hand of God. And we're going to consider those three things this morning as he says, I will cause them to know. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. And I want you to consider these three thoughts this morning. First, he says, I will cause them to know. He wants us to know. He wants us to know if we're condemned. He wants us to know that we have salvation in Christ. Uh, and again, and I, we know these verses well, but 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that ye may know uh, that ye have eternal life, uh, that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, and that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He's not being redundant. And by the way, he's not speaking to lost people here. Um, we use that, and I, I use that almost every week, especially in the invitation time. But listen, if you're here and you don't know Christ, he wants you to know, and that's true. But contextually, this is written not to the lost, but to the saved. And what is he saying here? If you're doubting, if you're struggling, if your heart has deceived you, if you, if you are wondering and you, whether God loves you or not, or whether God will not care for you or meet your needs, I've written these things unto you, that if you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you can know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, you can believe on the name of the Son of God to salvation, but you also believe on the name of the Son of God to sustain you through life and give you an abundant life. I want you to know. He says in Jeremiah, I will cause them to know. They're not going to be judged without knowing why. And they're not going to be judged without knowing that they have an opportunity to repent of their sin and receive mercy. I want them to know. And so he's just laying out here uh, that, that you've got to know. In 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 3 and verse number 10, uh, he says to them there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <coughs> beginning in verse number 10, uh, he says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For, the for other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defileth the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are ye? You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives within our heart. He says, I want you to know. In chapter 4. And in 2 Corinthians in, uh, in chapter 4, whenever we, uh, we see uh, in verse number 
uh, verses number th three and through five, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And what's he saying here? He's saying, listen, I, I want you to understand your condition. We're blind. The real problem of the, of the people of Judah here is that they can't see their sin. They, they, they're in sin and God sends Jeremiah to proclaim their sin and he, they say, what sin? Why would God think that we're in sin? What have we done? And Jeremiah has to explain it to them. And he says, listen, you're in sin and you're blind to the fact of the truth of your sin. You are calling that which is evil good. You're taking that which is an abomination and you're normalizing it in your everyday life and you're making it okay. And so he looks at him and he cries out and he says, God says, I will cause you to know. I want you to know that if you don't repent of your sin, judgment's coming. I'll cause you to know. What is he causing them to know? Their condition. What's he doing? He's opening their blind eyes. How do people get saved in this present age? We're blinded to the fact uh, that we have sin in our life. How do Christians that are blind to the fact that we have sinful lives get right with God and experience revival and the power of God uh, be bestowed upon us when he opens our blind eyes and helps us to see the truth of our wickedness as compared to his holiness? Their condition. I will cause you to know your condition. He says, I want you to know your consequence. What's their consequence? Their consequence is separation. Their consequence is that Babylon's coming. That Nebuchadnezzar's going to take you away. And by the way, the righteous weren't spared from the judgment. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Righteous, godly, used of God in a faraway land. Were ripped away from their family as young boys. Not because of their sin but because judgment fell upon the nation. And God used them, thank God for Romans 8, 28, but they still had to suffer in this judgment. Listen, when judgment falls on a nation, it's falling on everyone in the nation. God makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Once it comes, it comes to everyone. And he's saying the consequence of separation and he tells them Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, uh, there is mercy with judgment. Opportunity. I will cause them to know. Secondly, consider that I will cause them to know that my, my hand and my might. Notice that he says again in, uh, in verse number 21, he says, therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. <clears throat> now I want you to consider God's hand for a moment. We are in God's hand. I don't think that anyone that, that has any Bible knowledge at all would argue that point that we're in the hand of God. That every person, even the lost, are in God's hand. The question is not whether or not we're in the hand of God. And if we're saved, we know that we're in God's hand and that no one can pluck us out of it. Now, but, the, but the point is this. We're in the hand of God. The question is which hand are you in? Well, what difference does that make, Pastor? Because his left hand is judgment and his right hand is mercy. The left hand is always for corruption. I, it kills me to say that because I'm left-handed. 
But even today, if you go to the Middle East and those that have served in the armed forces in the Middle East will tell you uh, that if you, if you do anything uh, in the Middle East with your left hand, it's an insult. And they, they, it's just a part of the culture there. And there's good reason for it. But he says, I will cause you to know my hand. So the question is, we're in God's hand, but are we in his left hand, which in this scenario, in this context is destruction? Or are we in his right hand, which is mercy? Psalm 16 and verse 11, uh, as, we, as we look back at, uh, and see as God describes this in Psalm uh, chapter number 16, uh, verse number 11, he says, Thou will show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 17 uh, and verse number 7, he says, Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of, thy, of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Are we this morning uh, in God's left or right hand? Here's the, here's the wonderful thing about this. The choice is ours. They, they are here being preached to by Jeremiah clearly in the left hand of God's judgment. And he says, God really wants to transfer you to his right hand of mercy. If you'll repent, he'll show you mercy. If you'll give your heart to him, he'll give mercy. God's, we are in God's hand, will we accept his mercy? And he says, that I want you to experience my might. I'm going to cause you to know that you're going to either, you're in my hand, you're going to experience my hand and my might. What is that, how does that translate in might? Well, might, he has the might to destroy them. God has the power to destroy them. God is sending Babylon. He doesn't want to turn Nebuchadnezzar loose, but he has to. What he wants to do is show them that I have the might not only to destroy you, but I have the might to save you. I have the might to, to, to restore you. I have the might to send him back to Babylon. I have the might to make you who I want you to be. I will cause you to know my hand and my might. I will cause you to understand, to know what you were blinded to is actually sinful. What you thought was okay is separating you from me and there's a consequence and it's going to separate you from me or you can repent and be restored thirdly consider that he says that I will show them to cause them to know that my name is the Lord therefore behold I will this once cause them to know I will cause them to know my hand and my might and they shall know that my name is the Lord I'm going to tell you something we're all going to know one day that Jesus Christ is Lord there's no one that will be able to escape that. In Philippians chapter number 2 uh, and beginning in verse number 9 and down through verse number 11 he says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, Judah, you're in sin. And you don't even know that you're in sin. Because you're so corrupt and you're so blinded. And your, your, your knowledge of me has been so, uh, so corrupted over the generations. That you really believe that what you're doing is honoring to me. Uh, and is glorifying me. And, and you can't even understand why I'm sending Jeremiah to call you out. And you, is it so bad that you think that Jeremiah is a traitor? Because he's telling you the truth. And you're going to punish him for speaking truth. But I'm coming to tell you this morning, Jeremiah says that God has sent me and he says that I'm going to make sure that you know some things. I'm going to make sure that you know that I, that I know. God knows everything. And my heart can deceive me, but it can't deceive God. And we use the verse of Jeremiah 17, 9 often, but as we look this morning in verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Even in the midst of this judgment, there can be, uh, there can be God's usage and prosperity and God's blessing. Notice what he says, and you can't help but miss the correlation to Psalm 1. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh, uh, but her leaf shall be green. They're not going to wither in the drought. They're not going to wither when the hot of the summer comes. They're going to continue to stay green and to produce fruit. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. He said, you don't see it because the heart's deceitful above all things, and who can know it? But I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And that's what's happening. I'm come to give you the fruit of your doings. But before I send the hunters, I send the fishers. Before I bring judgment, I extend mercy. Before this process starts, I want you to know that my name is the Lord. What is he saying there? He's saying that whether I repent or not, God is my sovereign. Whether I turn to him or not, God is my sovereign. Whether a nation, whether an individual, whether a church body acknowledges that God is working in their midst or not, God is still sovereign. Amen. You will know. I would rather that you know because you receive my mercy. But if necessary, you will know because you experience my judgment. Isn't it amazing how all these things are in our hands to decide? I can choose whether or not to accept Christ as my Savior. I can choose to accept or reject. I can choose whether or not I'll be obedient to God. I choose whether or not I'll learn to pray. I choose whether or not I'll serve Him faithfully. I choose whether or not I'll die to self. I choose whether or not I'll be embittered. I choose whether or not I'll release things and just give them to God. I choose whether or not I'll follow God's leadership. God's leadership is always available. His mercy is available. His love is, is, is always experienced, whether we experience in a way that's pleasing to us or in a way that gets our attention and brings us back to him. But all these things God is laying out there and he's saying, listen, I've done what I can do. The ball's in your court. The ball's in your court. So, Pastor, what is it that I've got in my life that you're preaching about this morning? I don't know. I don't want to know. But I tell you, who knows? And he knows mine, too. And I could rattle off a long list of all the standard things that we think about in Christian life. But if I do that and we respond to that, all we're going to be is a lot of whitewashed tombs. But if God speaks to the heart, and if God gets our attention... And God wakens us from our blindness. 
And we know that he is our sovereign. See, whether or not I am submitted, submitted to him or not, he's still my sovereign. Whether or not I yield to his will, he's my sovereign. Whether or not I am obedient to him, he's still my sovereign. Your, your child is your child whether they're doing right or whether they're doing wrong. Whether they're being obedient or disobedient. Whether you're uh, being able to reward their behavior or you have to correct their behavior. It doesn't change the fact they're still your child. Listen, we are, God is our sovereign. And he would much rather take us out for ice cream than take us to the woodshed. But the woodshed's probably closer. Amen. And we look and we consider, he says, I want you to know that I'm God. I want you to know that I'm your sovereign and I want you to know that I'm your Savior. Amen. I'm your Savior. Listen, Babylon's coming. Nebuchadnezzar's right there. You can see the smoke over the horizon. And at some point, as Jeremiah's ministry was unfolding, that was true. At some point, you could hear the hoofs coming. At some point, you could feel the ground shake. At some point, the invasion and the besiegement began. At some point, the walls were toppled and the gate was broken down. At some point, the temple was defiled. And at some point, they were carried away prisoners, captive to a faraway land. A young man like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made eunuchs, put into the Nebuchadnezzar service to live not the life that they envisioned, but the life that needed to be lived for the glory of God. Why were they able to do that, Pastor? Because they knew that he was their Savior. And he knew that he was their sovereign. And he saw and he understood. How did they understand that? How, did they, how could you grasp the concept? As your nation is collapsing, as your capital is being overrun, as you are being picked up and ripped away from your family, how could you even begin to know? How could you stand in that place and say, I'm not going to eat that? How could you stand and say, I'm not going to bow down, I choose the furnace? How could you say, I'm not going to not pray. I'll take the lion's den. Because God caused them to know. And God will cause us to know. What do you want to know? You ever have that conversation with somebody? You come up. Hey, would, would you tell me something? Well, what do you want to know? What do you want to know this morning? Do you want to know that God's got the power to judge our sin? He does. Or do you want to know that God has the power to forgive it and to extend mercy? Because he does. Amen. Yes. What God wants to know is this. Will we repent? Will we respond? Will we let him open the blindness of our eyes? Will we let him warm the coldness of our heart? Will, he, will we bend our stiffened knees and will we acknowledge that he's our God and our Savior and our Sovereign? If we will, we can avoid judgment. Say, Pastor, you think judgment's coming to America? I don't see how it can't. But that's really not the message this morning. I'm not too concerned about that, honestly, as your pastor. We're going to go through whatever we go through. I'm concerned about that 
individually. Pastor, have you seen my sin? No, and I don't want to. I don't need to. Because God knows. And if I'll let him, he'll show me too.